Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Hey everybody, before you check out one of the greatest comedians in the country right now, Gary Gullman, straight off his HBO special, which is fantastic. You got to check it out. I just wanted to remind you that I am going to be in New York City at the New York Comedy Festival on Wednesday, November 6th at The Stand at 7 p.m. You can get tickets at The Stand or New York Comedy Festival website. I'd love to see you there. Check it out and enjoy this episode of Gary Gullman. I always hearken back to something that Mike Lacey from the Comedy Magic Club told me about about Jerry Seinfeld and Jay Leno. They said they never worried about managers and agents, and which is something that you, you go through. You have, sometimes you have a manager, sometimes you don't have a manager, sometimes you have both, sometimes you have a, um, just a good friend who can guide you and get you some, some gigs. Sometimes you don't, you don't even have that. But um, those two guys said, uh, we never worried about that stuff. We're getting t- deals to make television show. The question was, am I getting funnier? Am I getting funnier? And if I can answer yes to that question, then I'm on the right, I'm on the right path. All right, welcome back to Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz, and my guest, Gary Goldman. I'm going to give him the proper introduction. I know some of you are going to have to wake up after this, but I want to give him <laughs> the right introduction. At the young age of six, Boston's Gary Goldman always loved late night television and dreamed of being a guest one day. That dream came true, and he has appeared on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Late Show with David Letterman, The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson and Craig Kilborn, Conan, Late Night with Seth Meyers, Pete Holmes, Last Call with Carson Daly, and Jimmy Kimmel Live. I'm sitting next to a guy who is one of the rare people in comedy. He has done every 
single late night show there is. No blackballing here. <laughs> His brand of clever original comedy has delighted audiences of all ages over America. And the New York Times recently wrote that Gary is finally being recognized as one of the country's strongest comedians. Gullman was born in 1970 in Peabody, Massachusetts, and graduated from Boston College in 1993, where he received a football scholarship, playing as a tight end of all positions. After college, Gary held jobs as a barista, a doorman, a waiter, an accountant, high school gym teacher, and a substitute teacher. In his early days of stand-up, Gullman would try out his stand-up routines on his high school-aged students before bringing them to the stage each night. Gullman's breakthrough success came after appearing on the second and third seasons of NBC's Last Comic Standing and guest starred in season four. In 2006, Gary was invited to join Dane Cook's Tourgasm Tour, which eventually became a television series on HBO. In 2008, Gullman served as host and writer for New England Sports Network's Comedy All-Star Series. Gullman performed three times at the NASCAR year-end banquet. Let me tell you something. Most people just get asked one time, <laughs> three times, and at Madison Square Garden as part of the New York Comedy Festival. Other festivals include the Las Vegas HBO Comedy Festival and the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal, where he was a new face and broke out and got his first television development deal. Gullman guest starred on Inside Amy Schumer and also has performed at over 100 colleges, including Yale, Harvard, Boston College, Tulane, Villanova, Boston University, NYU, and others. Gullman's body of work includes a half-hour Showtime Network special, two Comedy Central specials, a Netflix special, and four comedy albums which include conversations with inanimate objects, All I Want for Hanukkah's Christmas, No One Can Defend, and It's About Time. Goldman's specials on television include Boyish Man in 2006, In This Economy in 2012, and most recently, you got to check it out, his Netflix special, It's About Time. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today. It's an honor, Gary Goldman. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. It's really a... Uh that was really nice, Barry. Thank you. I just sit across from you, and I just feel this overwhelming love about you. I'm not imagining that, right? Uh, <laughs> no, no. I, I generally uh, warm up to people very quickly um, when I feel a uh, uh, kinship or a safety. And, and uh, yeah, I've, I've adored you since the moment I met you at the, at the old uh, office on uh, 57th and Broadway, and then we went over to the Cosmic Diner for lunch. And I've had a lot of fun hanging around with you and talking comedy, and you really, you really get it. And, and you're one of the greatest, uh, you give one of the greatest pep talks that anyone's ever, ever given. I feel like a, r a real comedian when I hang around with you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that first meeting at the Cosmic Diner? Do you remember anything from it? Yeah, you said um, uh, that you're not ready. And that um, you should go back to Boston. You've got to you've got to kill every time, man. You've got to kill every time. And that was uh, that was something that uh, that helped. I th I think it, it put a little bit of the put a little bit too much pressure on me, which I already have a lot of pressure on myself to try to do well every time. But it was uh, it was realistic and it was reasonable. And it's and it's true. Every time you go up there, you're getting the ears and eyes of all those other comics and people in the room to spread the word of your of your talent. So it's 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 important, I, I, th I think, to um, to at least put your best foot forward every time you get on stage to not mail in a not mail in a set and at least 
at least care. So that was that was one of the lessons I learned from that day. And then um, I just uh, and th and th those became my marching orders: go out there and kill. And I I I was I forget who told me, but it's it's hard to make a. a change somebody's mind after you've made a bad first impression. So it was that was the other part of it. It was like, I'm really going to have to bring it the next time they see me. And so I went back to Boston for at least um, at least a year and a half or, or two years before I showed you guys any any stuff. And by then I was I was I was much stronger. And within nine months I did. I did the uh, Montreal Comedy Festival, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Late Show with David Letterman and and Comedy Central's premium blend all within nine months got a quarter of a million dollar development deal from from Fox I think when I say that to somebody I honestly think sometimes I'm testing them to see if they really want it badly enough and have what it takes and you came back a year or a year and a half later and showed me what you were doing and I was just blown away and your talent was so extremely unbelievable at the time and you were so prepared that when i saw you when you came back i was like my god it's almost like this guy's been working non-stop to say take yeah. that motherfucker yeah I, I don't think i was vengeful or anything like that but i was I, <laughs> I was um driven and i remember my my mantra after uh, you know a bad show or just a rejection was always, well, could you be working harder? And inevitably, the answer is yes. You can always be working harder, and it and it and it sucks because you'd like to be able to sit sit back and 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 relax for a while. But there's always something more to. I don't I don't know if you saw that um, that documentary that Bruce Springsteen did about about making Born to Run, but he went over every single note from every single instrument on that on that record born to run which was part of this bigger album so it took months just to work on the on the record and it's like if he can do that with something so complicated as a as a song then i can do it with my you know six line six line joke just make sure all the words are are right and the timing and the pauses and everything is right and that there couldn't be a better a better word to say something or quicker or or more um interesting way to to say something so it's like if you can if you can learn from somebody like like uh bruce springsteen how to work harder that's that's a great great opportunity that that was that was very meaningful to me but this is the difference springsteen he can work on his song in the studio over and over again get the headphones on play it back okay a millisecond earlier we should go here no just a half a second earlier good comedy there's never the same show twice no. you could time out gary's set for his first tonight show in every comedy club he worked it out in and every set would be a different time gary could do his first tonight show set a week before and kill but then he could get on the tonight show and maybe Jay Leno cackles really hard in the middle of something. And then the audience does a second laugh. And then he's got to reset his timing. But then the audience might applaud for a joke that doesn't normally get an applause break. And now there's 15 seconds of applause. And he's got to reset his stand-up again. So comedy, no matter what you do, no matter how much you prepare for it, every single show is different. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that's a great, great point about just you have, you have your own editor, which is you, you know, cutting things down, cutting things out, adding things, and then you have this audience who is just um, a, uh, a rogue editor. You never know what you're going to get from this, from this editor. They're, they're always going to be, um, you know, somebody drops a, a waitress drops a plate or something like that, and then you've got to adjust. So. Yeah, and then when running new material and you're and you're adding things and taking things out and and uh, that's that's really humbling, man, because the the audience is uh, ultimately the 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 final the the editor in chief. Yeah, but a great artist understands that sometimes you can't listen to what the audience tells <laughs> you. You have to listen to what your heart tells you, and sometimes you think to yourself, okay. Well, let me try that out another five times. You're polling different audiences to see, to see what uh, what jokes are actually worth worth keeping. But there, there's also a part of you that just takes a lot of uh, a lot of strength to go up there after the fourth or fifth time that you've done something that you believe in or you, or you know works works in your head or, or works for you or makes you happy. Then um, then just leaving it in the in the uh, in the past because it's because uh, it just it, it uh, dulls the performance it makes the audience go to sleep for for too long tell our audience a bit that when you were at your lowest point you just didn't have the skill set yet how to make it work but it was a brilliant bit you gave up on it but then you looked in your notebooks years later and you brought it back and you ended up making it kill um, there's one about role-playing with my with my girlfriend and uh, we uh, you and I had to make a, a, a very quick decision when I when I guest starred on Last Comic Standing. Did I want to do this joke that they had just chopped up and and um, taken the the heart out of, or did I want to do this joke that I had only performed at a at a uh, half a dozen open mics, but that I just I loved and we giggled over it and we we just loved it and. Um, I did it, and uh, I did a, a three-minute version of it, and there was just silence—silence silence from a TV crowd—is just is just the the most deafening and the, and, the, and the most heart-wrenching, and um, and so that was in 2005, and then I did it uh, about a thousand more times in between then and 2014 when I when I did it on on Conan, and it was you know one of my most popular. My, one of my most popular and requested routines is about role playing with my girlfriend. The joke, the premise is that I never actually intend on having any sex with her. It's about it's about the it's about the role of me being a professor at a at a college. But, <laughs> and and I I um I don't think she's a good enough student really to to to, to, to have been admitted in the first place. So so that was the that was the thing. But but I I remember the um I just remember after doing it on television calling. Quinn saying you got to get more got to get more specific and then I spent the next 10 years trying to get more specific with it and, and trying it out and, and also doing it in front of audiences who didn't like it but doing it like it was um, the greatest thing that had ever been that had ever been written just because it's long it's five or six minutes long and and I just would not um, once I started I, I, I refused to stop and and there would be people just um, falling asleep in their in their chairs or openly having in conversations and I was just like no this is I had to keep telling myself this is this is at the very least very different from what what other people are doing and sometimes that's enough to keep a joke going in my in my act and in my head is it, at least it's at least it's different from what I'm from 
what I'm, what I'm hearing. It's not, it's not another joke about the answering machine, as, as Norm MacDonald would say. Which did you do more? Work out that bit or watch Rocky? <laughs> uh, I definitely worked on that bit more than I watched <laughs> more than I watched Rocky. My um, I, I still watch Rocky from from time to time, and I I, I have a, a bit about watching Rocky as an adult. How you you don't notice him drinking raw eggs in the same way. You're like, oh, that's not good for you at all. <laughs> cholesterol and salmonella. And, yeah, so. Tell us two other movies that you've watched a ton of times that you think help you apply to your life and your profession. Um, have you ever seen Quiz Show? Yes. All right. So Quiz Show is just about um, what a dastardly place television is and um, how underhanded they they can be. And and there's a, there's a moment where... Um, the guy's going to get in a lot of trouble. He's going to be indicted for the fraud involved in the in the quiz show scandal. And um, he offers he offers the investigator a bribe. He says, "How would you like to have a panel show?" And the uh, the investigator just just laughs at him. And I just uh, I I admired that so much. I was like, because because most Americans, if they had an opportunity to be on on TV, no matter what the price, they would they would pay it, even if it even if it meant. Um, uh, you know, um, combining, uh, complying in fraud or, or overlooking fraud. And it was, it was just, uh, it was just, I really admired the guy who just, it was Rob Morrow. He just, he just laughed. He said, I'll get back to you on that. And I'm thinking, Oh, a panel show. I w wonder what I could do with the panel show. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I admired that. And then, um, I'm trying to think another another movie that I could watch over and over again is is Waiting for Guffman, and I just love I just love how the actors commit in that to the to the characters. It's just, it's just so um, inspiring how they committed to this this stuff that wasn't even written down and and that they improv the whole thing. That 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 movie's incredible. You've been doing comedy, I believe over 20 years correct yeah yeah never tell anybody but that was advice from you never tell anybody how long you have been right. doing it and never tell anybody how old you are so the, you know 36 and i've been doing it <laughs> for um six years six years do you ever watch anybody who's a peer of yours and you look at him and he gets off stage and you just go in the back of the dressing room and you say to yourself jesus christ I'm never going to be as funny as that guy. Oh my God! Yeah, every every night I do that with somebody. There's <laughs> every night, not every night, but there's there's usually a night where I'm watching somebody. I mean, luckily there's enough mediocrity out there where I'm, <laughs> where I can see somebody and be like, all right, I'm in the right field. I I, I can bring something to the table. But um, you know, most recently I watched uh, Ted Alexandro the other night at the at the Comedy Cellar, and he just did. 15 minutes of brand new material and it was relevant and it was timely and it was um topical and just um just he's uh prolific and sounds different and delivers it differently and i was just like i really need to i need to um put more in my notebook and work work harder <laughs> I, I i i uh i'm not um i'm not applying myself the way I, the way i should be and it's it's um 
it's it's never where you really want to want to quit but it's like you want to you want to uh acquit yourself a little bit better on on stage and and uh bring more uh energy and 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 preparation into into getting on stage and just uh the more time i spend on stage the more new jokes i get the, the happier i am have you ever done a set where you went on and you actually walked out and you saw people who you have respect for and you felt the look on their face like god damn it yeah that's that's happened that's happened before and and uh it makes me very happy it, it uh, sometimes it makes me feel very um very satisfied that that i am um that i'm still still productive because you you remember uh the boston comedy scene and guys you know got there 45 minutes or hour and they they put their pen down and it was just like what is that is that natural? Is that just going to happen to everybody, or or is it just a matter of a matter of uh, having your pen in your hand? Is it, is it? And they're all still there. It's still heartbreaking because it it also could be just uh, genetic. There's just what if the, what if there's just a number of, number of hours you can write, and that's and that's that. And no matter how hard you work, it's just or it just it just gets that much harder to to create new things, or you've you feel like you've covered it all, and and there's just because um, there's no retirement. There's just cruise ships. <laughs> <laughs> hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. I can't believe that from an early age, you work this hard at everything. So will you tell our audience the moment where you just shifted your thought process and your philosophy of undying work ethic? No, I, I, I think from, from a very early age, I worked as hard at, at everything, which, which is to say as, as hard as I, as hard as I can under the, under the circumstances, I, I, um, I worked this hard when I played basketball and then when I played football and then in school when I wanted to get good grades I worked I worked very hard and and made I remember saying if I'm really going to do well in this accounting class I have to treat it like it's my hobby so I have to spend my my extra time that I would normally spend um watching cheers or um or uh, the other new show that was on at that time was Seinfeld. I um, I need to spend it working on my working on my class um, instructions and things like that. So, yeah, I I um I brought this work ethic from from way back, and it um I won't I won't say it it um 
well, I'll say it, it, it wavers because there are, there are times when you get caught up in this, in this business with the, with the business. And, and, um, as, as Dan Natterman put so eloquently, eloquently, he said, this business has no business calling itself a business. <laughs> and, and, um, but then I, I always hearken back to something that Mike Lacey from the Comedy and Magic Club told me about about Jerry Seinfeld and Jay Leno. They said they never worried about managers and agents, and which is something that you you go through. You have sometimes you have a manager, sometimes you don't have a manager, sometimes you have both, sometimes you have a um, just a good friend who can guide you and get you some some gigs. Sometimes you don't you don't even have that, but. Um, those two guys said, we never worried about that stuff. We're getting t deals to make television show. The question was, am I getting funnier? Am I getting funnier? And if I can answer yes to that question, then I'm on the right, I'm on the right path and I can be, um, I can be secure in myself. So I, I, um, I really try to try to hold to that as, as often and as frequently as I can. I mean, there's, there's plenty of rejection to go around, but, but there's, there's nothing that can really stop you from, from getting on stage and, and continuing to, um, to push that boulder up the hill. Hey everybody. And I wanted to thank some of the sponsors on the podcast, starting with Aqua true. If you haven't bought this countertop water purification system, you have to do so. It's incredible. It turns tap water into your favorite bottled water instantly. It saves you thousands and thousands of dollars. It gets rid of all those plastic bottles that you have in your trash. Thousands and thousands of listeners have bought these. Everybody loves it. Not one complaint. It's incredible. I haven't bought a bottle of water in years since I got this, and you won't either. And if you go right now to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, you'll immediately get a $100 discount, a $100 discount, and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. I guarantee it. Lastly, the air doctor. I don't know what the air inside your house is like but the air inside my house it feels heavy at times before I got this product and now it got rid of all the bad air in my house the dust the pet hair the pollen it just gets rid of all the contaminants circulating through your home and for me when I got this product it was amazing the difference that I found in the air in my house and it's normally $600 and you can check Amazon right now and you'll see but for all of you listening today, I can offer you $300 off. $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com and type in the promo code Barry. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry, and save $300 and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. All right, let's go way, 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 way back. Back to Peabody, Massachusetts. Okay. Tell me what it was like growing up in Peabody and what was the first inspiration to go into comedy? Um, I, would, I would just see how my family reacted to the comedians on the, 
on the Tonight Show and how they reacted to movies like Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles when they came on, when they came on TV. That's when, where I was able to see them. For some reason, it seemed like they came on more than once a year, but they must have only come on once a year. And and uh, we would watch them, and my family would just uh, be in stitches. And we we were uh, we were a, we were a, a weird sect of Jews called um, broke. We were broke. <laughs> We were broke ass Jews, and I remember uh, one of my favorite stories was the time I wanted to play hockey, and they gave me this this long speech. If you really want to play hockey, we'll find the money. It's very expensive. We'll find the money um, for you to uh, participate in this sport that you've shown very little promise in, and <laughs> um, and that, that Jews in general have shown very little aptitude for over the years. They're, they would they would give me statistics such as the number of Jews in, in the Hockey of Hall of Fame for playing. They were at that time there were zero Jews in the Hockey Hall of Fame for playing. They were they're like you you're more likely to be the Messiah than you are <laughs> to. <laughs> Remember there was one time when I was managing you where we talked about how I said there's been 11 Jewish football players in the National Football League. And I said, you know what they all have in common? And you said, what? And I said, they're all adopted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. They made it quite clear that you had a better chance of walking on water than skating on it with the Stanley Cup over my head. I, I just, um, and, and the, 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 the guilt trip was so intense and so well thought out. I mean, there was no way I could, I could, um, I could say no to that. And I, I wound up just playing, playing basketball. And, um, that was my, that was my life. Just, uh, going up to the park and playing basketball with, with, uh, my friends and, and trying to be really great at basketball. And then, you know, then you start to play against players who who you just can't believe they're 11 years old and they're dunking, and you play from other other cities and more uh, further away, and and you realize, well, I'm probably not going to play in the NBA, and then and then I switched to football, and I guess the 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 city of Peabody was a was a a nice size for me to be. Um, to stand out at things, it was a I was a big fish in a small pond athletically and academically. So I think that that gave me confidence. There are about forty thousand people that that live there, and it's a, um, a middle class bedroom town, and it's quiet. And uh, I still have so many friends there that I visit whenever I whenever I go back, and I'm I'm very close to my um, friends and, and and family back there. So it's um, and and you're exposed to enough enough variety where you where you um, and diversity where you figure out different types of people so you can put together a good New York showcase, but um, it it also uh, gave you a, a point of view because it was it was different enough as as well as just being a, a um, unique suburb. You finish there, and I imagine you apply to a bunch of colleges. I applied to, I had a scholarship, well not scholarship offers, but offers to play football at, at uh, Harvard and Holy Cross and uh, UMass, UNH and Boston College. And I, I chose Boston College because it was, um, they, 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 um, it was a, f a full scholarship, so I didn't have to pay for, for anything. The others, you had to apply for aid, and they would give you money based on the, on the aid, which I probably could have gotten, but I, I wasn't, 
I wasn't um, energetic enough to really want to go through all the hoops involved in, in the financial aid process. So obviously you were a good football player for Boston College to give you a... I was, I was an excellent athlete. I could jump really high and I could run really fast and I was, I was, um, I was a good student. So I was a very good um, applicant for them. And, and uh, yeah, but I, I only wound up playing for um, two seasons there and then they, they changed coaches and moved me to offensive line and I just... Um, I couldn't keep the weight on, and I I didn't um, I didn't I didn't love it enough to really um, dedicate myself to it. And that's when I that's when I started writing down jokes on on uh, pieces of paper in class and things like that. So the fact that you didn't make it in football in college that led you to writing jokes down. Yeah, yeah. I probably there's probably part of it part of. Um, uh, psychologically where I needed to be the center of attention or something like that and I and I couldn't do it on the football field so I decided to try to do it somewhere else if, if I had to look hard into my into my psyche then then there's there's part of me that's an exhibitionist and likes to likes to um, show off and be the be the center of attention so tell our audience about the first time you decided okay I'm going to try stand-up comedy where was it and what happened um, it was it was October eighth, nineteen ninety three, and I um, you had to call in to Nick's Comedy Stop. So they had a, a comedy night, an um, open mic night there, and and the host of the the MC for the night was was Billy Martin, who's now the head writer at, at Bill Maher, and um, I went on there with with about five or six minutes of material, and I ran through that in in like three and a half minutes, and. Um, the only thing that really worked was this uh, was this impression I did of Seinfeld and Kramer having a having an argument on the on the basketball court. I did impressions. That was my first that was my first intro into into comedy, and it really did well. And and uh, after that, I was I was hooked. It was like they put the spike in my arm, and I, <laughs> and I had to get I had to get more. And from from there on out, I would play anywhere. I'd play in. in downstairs at bookstores with no microphones and in front of bars just standing in front of the bar with no microphone entertaining the the drunks at the bar and it was just um anything and felt every time looking forward to it and then going home listening to it being like well i could have changed that and i might have gotten them there even though it was it was um it was futile it was futile to expect to do well in those in those rooms and and yet um i always uh I, I was always prepared. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today.
I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. You're not the only one who started doing impressions because if you can do a great impression, you can get this huge laugh, this applause break. Yeah. So you're killing with the impressions. You're not doing well with the written spoken word material. Right. How did you avoid not becoming an impressionist with the reinforcement versus the monologist you are today? I, I saw a, a special that Paul Reiser did called uh, Two and a Half Blocks from Home. It was on late at night and I recorded it and I must have watched it two dozen times and uh, he never... He never, um, he never changed his voice. He didn't really raise his voice. He just was himself for an hour. And I remember thinking, oh, that's, that's what I want to do. That, that's much um, more natural and much more um, honest than what I'm doing on, on stage right now is just, uh, I'm just going to go up there and, and talk. And, and I was like, and I'm going to, and I'm going to bomb for a while. And I remember, you know, because I was, I was killing with these impressions. And then I remember people just being like, oh, you're, you're bombing. You're getting, a friend of mine said, you're getting worse. And I remember just thinking, no, you'll, you'll see this will, this will work out better in the, in the long run. And, um, and eventually it did. It took, at the, at that time, the learning curve is so steep when you're when you're just starting out. So it, it might not have taken more than six to nine months to get it, so that I didn't didn't have to do impressions anymore. But um, I, I eventually uh, jettisoned the impressions and went all in with my own with my own voice. And then and that 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 put me on the right trajectory to get some to get some work and 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 get get something that's so so priceless in this business which is which is some respect from your from the other comedians the other comedians want to want to work with you and want to give you um opportunities and work and and give you um encouragement and if you if you show any promise they're really really encouraging i, I noticed that i noticed it recently when louis ck gave you a call and said hey gary yeah want to come on the road with me yeah. Uh, where are you going? Ah, fifteen thousand seat arenas. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, the, I, I was I was on his last last tour, um, and uh, he would follow me a lot at the at the comedy cellar, and he would give me uh, tags to jokes that worked, and then those tags would work better than anything in the, in the joke. He was just uh, uh, magical. And so, um, yeah, when he emailed me and asked me to come on the road with him, I was like, this is like a, uh, it was like a, it was like a master class. At, at one point during the, during the tour, he did 10 minutes on Saturday Night Live, and um, 10 of the best minutes he had in, on, on the tour. And uh, after that, Saturday Live date. He never did it again. He just he just dropped it, and, and it's just that it's that confidence to be like, oh, I'll write more. There's plenty more where that came from. That I just um, it's it's inspiring, but it's also uh, it's it's daunting to think that's what it takes. There's a there's a reason why he's the he's the best, and and um, it's it's obvious in just his his um, approach and his and his work ethic and and his. Um, and his um, policies towards his, his material. And there's a reason why he chose you. He sees the future in you. That's oh. why he chose you. Wow, that's a that's a high compliment. I, I I can't I can't believe that that that's possible. It could have been just that I had an open open um, Thursday Friday. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think this work ethic thing is really fascinating 
to sort of understand and get inside your brain as to your process from cradle to grave on a routine or a joke like how does it start in your brain to the point where it's perfected yeah well i think um i think it it starts with the with the with the premise and you get a little bit of a um i i personally get that same feeling like when uh there's an episode where where Bugs Bunny can smell gold, and he just he just goes uh, he goes crazy when he can smell gold. And um, there's a part of my stomach. It's the same same thing when you see a pretty girl or or um, a cute dog or something like that. There's something in my stomach that just says, "Oh, this is a uh, this is this is something worth um, worth exploring." So take us through one of your jokes. Yeah. What the premise was? Well, like the the premise for the for the Jewish community center basketball joke is that they have um they have collapsible rims on the on the hoops <laughs> which was um was you know just it tells you how cautious and insecure Jews are as a as a people so um now right there you've got an opening to go into how insecure we are as a as a as a people and so so there some nights if i'm doing a really long show i'll insert the part about um my family playing a game growing up called um who would hide us (laughs) 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 And, and and uh other nights, I just get right down to the to the premise, which is we are so cautious that in a ten-year-old and under Jewish basketball league, they they installed collapsible rims for all the for all the dunking. The, the, they, and, and then I told the people my mother's reaction to it. I went home and I told my mother, and there's there's a, a little piece in there, and there's there. Are, uh, I mean, the 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 main thing I've I've noticed is that that. Um, if you've got a premise, sometimes there are other premises within the within the within the setup and within the joke where you can work in more more stuff so you can make a, a layered a layered joke with a lot of digressions, which I which is which is my favorite thing to do, just to try to make a joke longer. It's it's like you always you always said you gotta try to squeeze every it's like a, a sponge where you try to squeeze every piece of water out of it before you're before you're ready to move on. So anyhow the the next thing I came up was it was just um comparing the uh the the league rosters in the Jewish Community Center Basketball League to the NBA, where um, there had been uh, exactly four in the history of the NBA, four people had smashed a backboard playing basketball. Um, not one of them was a ten-year-old Jew. <laughs> and then and then that gets a laugh, and you have you have. Um, you have confidence from the laugh, and you're like, "Well, I don't want to end it there." And so, what what could my mother say to that? And she said, "Well, maybe it's for the fathers. Maybe maybe the because that's 
also the mother in the in the in the joke is playing the audience. The audience is the is the yeah. But what about couldn't it be for this reason? And you you want to as a comedian you kind of want to answer the the audience's obvious questions. You don't have to go too far. They're not they're not um, analyzing it as much as a as a comedian would. But um, you should you should give it a go for for what could come up as as objections to the to the premise, so that you can you can usually make something funny about it. And um, she said maybe it's for the fathers and I said yes um, Dr. Barry Rosenthal got off on a break Monday night and, <laughs> and then and then it was just fun having fun with the Jewish sounding last names and the results of their of their play and their their incredible slam dunks and and um, and and then the lawsuit that that followed from the from the from the breaking of the of the glass and everything that would happen <laughs> with that so that that's how I um, that's how I wrote that one. I thought you were going to go somewhere else for the breaking of the glass. Oh, right, right, right. There's a, yeah, there's also a, um, you're, you're married if you break the glass. And, and uh, yeah, I just, I just, I, I think I thought that was too ob obscure. People don't really know a lot of Jewish ma marriage rituals, <laughs> but um, might, might, might work better on a, a Sex in the City episode than, than in my, in my, in my act. I, I, um, and it, and it's also I'm also careful not to make it too Jewish, so it's you know unapproachable to to um, what we call the uh, non-Jews in the in the, <laughs> in the audience. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Aquatru, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode. When you told me you're not, you're not ready yet. I remember you watched a, a video of me that I got from a Chinese food restaurant called the Kowloon in, in Saugus, Massachusetts. And it had two shows and one I killed. And the second one was lukewarm and you, and you watched both of them. You were really, I don't know if you're still as diligent as you are. Um, but you were diligent, man. You watched both shows and you were like, now are you the comedian from the first show or the second show? 
because you got to be the comedian from the first show. And um, when you can do that every night, come back and see me. And um, and I was like, that son of a bitch. I um, I'm I'm ready now. Um, but then I, I I gave it some honesty, and it was like, all right, I'll put my head down for a year and try to make a better um, first impression the second time around. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.